0: There was a very high-level celebrity that reached out to us and was like, NASCAR, what's up? And we are like, wait, are we relevant? Like, we kind of funnily had that conversation, like, that's what we want. That is success. Make sure you're understanding the why of what are you doing? Why are you doing it? Because if you can always back that up, you have a case for, hey, well, I need more resources or I need more financial compensation.
1: This is the Work in Sports Podcast. Here's VP of Content and Engage Learning at WorkInsports.com, Brian Clapp. Earlier in my career, I had my worst nightmare become a reality right on live TV. Still gives me a little bit of the chills to this day. Let me back up a second. We all have blind spots in our jobs and in our lives. Maybe you aren't as strong in data analysis or Excel or video editing or project management. You know this about yourself, and you can choose one of two paths on how to handle it. You can lean into your weaknesses and try to make them a strength, or you can avoid them and hope they go away. Obviously, the former is the best plan, but the latter is what most of us do, this guy included. Now we're getting back to my nightmare fuel. As a sports producer at a national sports network, my acknowledged blind spot was NASCAR. I felt strong in literally every sport but NASCAR. But most of the time, you can function without real depths of knowledge when you're in the national sports scene. You're going an inch deep and a mile wide. You're covering every sport, but maybe not to the extreme depth. I could slot NASCAR highlights, put in some post event sound bites, assign it to an anchor I knew was confident in the sport, and woo, all clear. Nothing to worry about. But here's where the nightmare came into play February 18th, 2001. I'm producing an hour long show on the weekend. And the lead story is Daytona 500. So obviously, I'm already kind of nervous because this isn't really my comfort zone. As a producer, you're in control of the show and all the elements within. And I didn't necessarily feel confident in setting up and telling this story to the nuanced level that real true fans of NASCAR would demand. But I muddle through my setup, lean on my anchors, and I'm feeling okay. Then near the end of the race, big crash. Immediately, rumors start coming in that Dale Earnhardt Sr. The hero of a world I know little about was killed in the crash. Panic. Panic, 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 panic. I literally don't know how to handle this live, never forget where you were when it happened moment. Because that's what that was. People talk in NASCAR about like when he died, like, oh, I remember I was doing this. I was watching that. It was like the, you know, shuttle launch blowing up or, or all those things that are tragic in the world. And you just think of it like, I remember exactly where I was when it happened. And I'm in this moment where... It's not my comfort zone. And this is happening live. And I have to be part of the storytelling team to the world. At the same time, realize our network, CNN Sports Illustrated, was the sports branch of CNN, the broader network. And now, as this is happening, I get the CNN main network calling down into the control room saying, We're going to take your show live because this is the biggest story happening right now. And you guys are covering it. The amount of sweat pouring off of me was disgusting. It was like I was in a complete want to crawl up into a ball and hide. But in those moments, you fall back on your instincts. You make decisions, you lead, you listen, you perform, you do your tasks, you do your job. It all starts to come together. You make smart choices. 50 minutes later, which seemed like the longest 50 minutes of my life, we had created incredible, riveting, on-the-ground, informative content. We went live. We had great reporting. We had experts coming in, analysts on the phone. We did a lot to cover the moment, which was a really big moment. I'm not telling this story to brag. I'm sharing because my nightmare, my ultimate discomfort, my biggest fear turned out to be okay. And guess what? Yours would be too. Pushing through discomfort is part of the human condition. Today's guest knows this really well, and it ties into the NASCAR theme. See what I did there? Amy Anderson spent 20 years at Fox Sports working her way up. Manager, director, senior director, VP, always creating amazing content and building up brand partnerships at Fox. Then, the opportunity came about to move to NASCAR and become the head of content strategy. Now, that may not sound like a huge shift, but it is. When you're at a place for 20 years, you know how to execute everything, where to go for answers, who is in charge, you know the personalities and the office dynamics, it all becomes very comfortable. Plus, at a place like Fox Sports, like I said earlier, national kind of network, national perspective, you go an inch deep and a mile wide on a lot of different sports, a lot of different topics, a lot of different analysis. You don't go super, super crazy deep. But now you move to NASCAR, it's a different language to many. You have incredibly passionate fans who know their stuff, you cannot fake it. They go a mile deep and an inch wide. It's all NASCAR and all the nuances all the time. Details matter. This is the very definition of discomfort and Amy Anderson is pushing through that and nailing it. But I'll let her tell you more. Here's my friend, Amy Anderson, NASCAR's head of content strategy. Hi, Amy. How are you? How's it going today?
0: It's going good. I'm here. Can't be more excited than, you know, just to be here and talking with you. It's awesome.
1: This is fun. I had so much fun coming up with questions for this conversation because you and I come from similar worlds in the content side of the business. And I think it's such, such an interesting topic and so much we can dive into today. But I think often when I bring on a guest as successful as you, the audience really likes to hear a little bit about the journey. How did you get here? What was the whole path? So Washington State grad, jumped to Fox Sports for 20 years or so. You went from director to senior director to VP, primarily in content-focused roles. Now you're at NASCAR. We're going to get into that whole story. But let's start with this. Did you always have it in your sights that you wanted to work in sports content? And if so... Why? How did you get to this path? What led you down this way?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. I always think about this nonstop, that as a little girl, I wanted to be around my dad and my brother. Mm. And they watched sports, and my brother and I would fight in the morning about getting control of the TV before we went to school, and he loved ESPN and I wanted to, you know, listen to, like, Je- or watch Gem and the Rockers or whatever was going on awesome. in the 80s. Awesome.
1: Yeah, yeah right.
0: Um, a little 80s reference for anybody out there. Um, but, you know, for me, I think the biggest thing was I love sports. I loved the story and the emotion that sports brought out for me was just so impactful I'm gonna give a shameless plug to Skull Vikings. I'm a huge Vikings fan. <laughs> We've had season tickets forever. Like it's been in my family. My mom's a huge sports fan. So as I kind of grew up, I always played sports. I was around sports. I loved playing sports. I was uh five foot seven in the sixth grade. So it was like I was the tallest girl. I was playing <laughs> basketball. I didn't keep growing. But that's okay. <laughs> So I always just really wanted to be involved in it. And when I when I went to college at Washington State, oddly enough, I wanted to be a kindergarten teacher. Um, so as we get into leadership, you know, like some of those things align with being, you know, a teacher, right? <laughs> That's and, what I was
1: thinking. Like sometimes our jobs are kind of like being a kindergarten teacher, but I'll say that you won't.
0: <laughs> absolutely. No, I'll say it. Um, <laughs> but I think the, the thing for me is I went through college. I, I really got into this thought process. I went to Washington State. The journalism communication school, Edward R. Murrow, is, like, top notch. It is. Um, so I started thinking about, like, I love to communicate with people. I love to tell stories. I don't know what that looks like. And, hmm, could I combine that with sports? I wasn't someone that thought, oh, I'm going to be a sports management major. But what I did is put all my effort into communications. And I actually graduated with um, PR Emphasis, and that really helped me because it taught me how to write and communicate. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I tried to get involved with sports organizations when I was in college, but back in the 90s, the late 90s, I don't want to age myself too too hard here, but um, you know, they didn't have a lot of asks for internships. So it was a little, a little bit of like, what do I want to do? How do I wanna do it? And how do I wanna approach? And communication and just being able to write and storytell was important to me. Yeah. So thinking about working in sports is so funny. I remember this one class I was in, I did a story about the Vikings and I kind of packaged together like how they tell their story. And it was Randy Moss era and all of these things. And my first internship ended up being with the Minnesota Vikings. I mean, yeah. I thought I had won the lottery, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? And that was through persistence of, I, I went home the summer before my senior year um, I intern- or I I interviewed for an internship at the Vikings. I didn't get it. Bummed out. Thought I had a great interview, um, had a connection. So I got that interview, went into my senior year, and I really had no idea what I wanted to do. I was either going to move to Seattle or move home. And just, you know, after college, you know, it's really hard to kind of figure out what you want to do. So I moved home and I thought, you know what? I'm going to call the Vikings back. So I called them Mm -hmm. and got in touch with the woman that I had interviewed. And she's like, gosh, I think about you all the time. I loved you. It just didn't work out. Come in for an interview. I went in and no joke, 6 p.m. that night, they gave me the internship and I was doing like cartwheels in the living room. My dad was so excited for me. So it was one of those things where, you know, you never know what's going to happen. But I was so proud of myself for taking that leap of reconnecting with that person. Mm. I've heard you talk about it a lot. It's like networking is a long game. It is not about one and done. It's about communicating with people, keeping in touch. And sometimes these things just sort of work themselves out. So I was really lucky when I got into that role. And then I was lucky with the people that I worked with. That foundation of that team is and will always be the crux of why I'm successful. They let me be um, involved in a ton of stuff. But that's because I came to the table so eager and just was so, I mean, I couldn't believe I was working at the Vikings, you know. I was writing cheerleader bios for the game day. Program I was doing, you know, on-site activations. I would do whatever they gave me, but and they loved
1: every minute of it.
0: And and they just kept giving me more. So mm-hmm. that was supposed to be a summer internship. The middle of it, they decided, hey, you know what? You're going to come on and be our full-time intern for the season, and we're going to pay you, which was very exciting to me. Then. <laughs> and that really taught me. I, I truly say this. Steve LaCroix was my boss at the time, who was the former C- CMO, and he just really let me do whatever I wanted to do, but that's because I came to the table eager and he would take the time to teach me. Mm -hmm. And that allowed me throughout my career to sort of say like, Hey, I'm in this position, but I see this over here. How do I get to go do this over here? And so it was a lot of the inquisitiveness of, of, um, you know, that role allowing me to do that throughout my career. And that's how I got into sports. And I still pinch myself every time I go do something like, like, I get paid to do to this? To do this? Yeah. How is that possible?
1: Uh-huh. I know. Same <laughs> thing. So your first job at Fox Sports, we were laughing about this before we started recording everybody. We were talking about this a little bit. Amy and I were kind of digging into this. But your your first job at Fox Sports was as a traffic coordinator, which yeah. is not a content job. And then your second yeah. job was as a sales coordinator. Your second yeah. role is a sales coordinator, not a content job. Yep. So looking back, was it important just to get in... Start figuring things out, work your way up, and prove yourself from the inside out as as you kind of get through, get it, get your opportunity out there.
0: Yeah, I think about this a lot and I I reference that role in the sales coordinator role a ton. A traffic coordinator essentially is a data entry person for formats of TV shows, right? Like yep. at the time I was getting faxes from LA, faxes of faxes. what I should enter in for promos. And then I would get a report and I would sort through it. But what I tell everyone is I had an opportunity to take an assistant job at a publishing house or the job at Fox Sports as a traffic coordinator. And I remember talking to my mom and she said, well, if you're an assistant, what are you learning versus learning the business of sports? Mm -hmm. So as a traffic coordinator, I learned a format of a show format of a show allows you to Mm storytell. You understand the business of TV. Like there's nothing else you could ever, I don't know how you get that information if you don't have that role, because sometimes you come in and you're like, I don't understand a TV format or why does, you know, XYZ cable company need two minutes and 30 seconds? Well, that's how we make our money. Right. So it was one of those things where when I got that job, I don't think I knew it then, but I knew it pretty quickly after that that was going to teach me something that was going to help me down the road. Mm-hmm. When I went to the sales coordinator job, all the ad sales spots that we sold, I understand how a format works. So I knew what we had to sell, what we didn't have to sell, and where we could tweak the format to bring in more revenue or do what we needed to do. Um, and interestingly enough, as you get into you know sales coordinator you're starting to learn, okay, you're selling sponsorships as a part of telling the story of the broadcast or whatever that looks like. So there was just always a thread of like Mm -hmm. learning and understanding the different nuances across that. Um, And I think it was so impactful to my career because I really was able to step by step kind of, you know, you and I both, I think, agree on this of like, it's not a straight path. You go over here and then you go over here. So, but what are you learning in those roles? Because my one nuance was always like, how does my boss get ahead of this? How do they know this? It's because they have the educational foundation, the understanding of how the business works. And, you know, if you know the revenue in the business, a lot of the stuff can, you can make decisions easier if you're educated on those things.
1: Mm -hmm. Oh, and it's all just a huge business. Um, So, The, looking at the world the way it is today, I think you and I both share the, the same kind of you know pathway of, of getting in, proving yourself, learning, growing, adjusting yeah. left and right. But does that still work today, I would ask? Because I think this industry has become so competitive that people yeah. are specializing earlier and yeah. really having to maximize their ability to stand out for a very specific role. I think it's getting harder to just get your foot in the door and figure it out because there's 50 other people that have the exact skills necessary to do this job right now. Like, what is that advice? How do we have set people up for this kind of success? Because I think it's hard.
0: I I would agree with you. And I still go back to that same frame of mind. It, it can't be chain of command or chain of sort of, oh, you get this role, then you get this role. Right. And you do your three years and you pay your time. Like, The next generation has none of that. They're like, you guys are silly for doing that. (laughs) Mom and dad, like the fact that I was at a company for 20 years, people are like, what? What? Yeah. How? My brother's been at, I think, 10 different companies. He's like three, 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 three. And I'm like, whoa, what? I mean, the difference between the two of us is so funny. But I think that the delineation in that is, look, If you can understand a specialization and build around understanding of the business, that's where I think the sweet spot is. Because how can you grow into a good manager and or a good business leader? If you're only focused on that one thing, you're going to have to know other things. And the advice I would give to folks is make sure you're understanding the why of what are you doing? Why are you doing it? How does that help the business? How does it help the objectives? Because if you can always back that up, you have a case for, hey, well, I need more resources or I need more financial compensation because this is bringing in X amount of business or it's building a partnership with one of the leagues or the teams that we have. Like, what is the why behind what you're doing? Also, it's one thing I see is there's some isolation and like, well, I want to do this. But does that necessarily make sense for the business? And I think you know, you, if you combine those two things, your passion and what makes sense from a business standpoint, man, you can go far because most bosses don't see that um, sort of delineation of I'm coming to you solving your problem, not just doing what I want to do and being focused and specialized in that.
1: I think that is absolutely amazing advice, and everybody listening should rewind and listen to it again because I think you're so spot on, and I think that is the challenge that that young people are facing today, and that's the way to attack it. So, rewind, listen again, and then start up again. Okay, so, after many years at Fox, let's get into this creative side a little bit. i spent After yeah, many yeah. years at Fox, a little over a year ago, you come to… NASCAR is the head of content strategy. Mm-hmm. Congratulations, huge role. That's awesome. Yeah. What are those big challenges that you faced with NASCAR, and how is that different from the creative challenges you faced at at Fox Sports? How different has it been for you?
0: It's been really different. Um, it's been one of the biggest challenges of my career. The first one was when I moved to LA because this home, homebody, hometown Homer uh, left Minnesota to go to LA and didn't really know what I was walking into. Mm-hmm. This one feels really similar in I was so uncomfortable, like unbelievably uncomfortable. And it's from the level of when you work at a network, you're the media company, you you have rights, you don't have rights and then you go forth and you tell stories and it's it's really um, you know in my standpoint it was hey, we have to serve the advertisers, we have to bring in revenue, we have to storytell there were sort of the delineation of the things you have to do when you're on the league side, there's not one, two things. It's 10, you know, it's, it's a lot of things that we're trying to accomplish, like thinking about the clash at the Coliseum or the Chicago street race course that's coming up, which will be really, really cool. First time we've ever raced on streets. I mean, those are two things in a 36 week schedule (laughs) that have to be prioritized. And you're thinking about engaging the audience, finding new fans, taking care of the core fans, selling tickets, showcasing the event experience. There's a lot there. And yeah. so it's I, – I, I've said this to a couple of people. I am so honored that I get to do that, that I get to have a say in how we do that. As opposed to in my old role, I was a representation of what that was.
1: Mm. So the okay. change
0: for me has been – now, I'm the sort of owner of that, and the way that I help shape that will be how the networks will help us support what we're trying to do, the teams, the drivers, anyone that wants to interact with NASCAR. So, it's the difference has really been, you know, you're serving multiple masters, and you have control, and you have to trust and be confident in what that is, and that can be challenging because yeah, saucer syndrome, hello.
1: Yeah, right? I mean, I, I yeah. think that's so real. I had con- I had a conversation somebody with somebody yesterday on imposter syndrome, and I think it's such an interesting thing that we probably need to talk about more. But let's let's go down this path that you started yeah. a little bit first, um, balancing priorities throughout the organization. You you kind of referenced it. Sales has needs. They want to promote ticket deals and what's going on there. The executive team has a point of view. You know, you're going to have them having their thoughts and processes. Drivers want their brand attention. They want to be the focus. What becomes your North Star for prioritizing? How do you really establish, here's how we're going to make our decisions and push forward? Because that ain't easy.
0: No, it's not. (laughs) Um, No, it's not. No, we put all the fun stuff on TikTok, and then Twitter becomes where the executives go. I say that all the time. <laughs> I'm half kidding. Um, oh,
1: I, I'm thinking we have the same exact philosophy because I'm like, you guys go have fun over on TikTok. And yes. then let's put this stuff where I know people are going to see it.
0: Yeah. Yes, we're, we're in agreement there. <laughs> um, the North Star for me is setting the team up with an understanding of what success looks like as a company. And then what success looks like for us. They're two different things. They're aligned, but they're two different things, right? You're going to have high-level expectations of, hey, we want to sell a documentary. Hey, we want, you know, to diversify our talent. Okay, those are high-level things that we can accomplish. But as a team, what do we want to stand for? What do we want to do? And narrowing those down and then really giving the team boundaries, we've been working on this tremendous amount. Like, my team works so hard and they have so much on their plate and they're amazing content creators and storytellers and leaders within the company. But it can be hard because then everyone goes, well, content, we just put it on social. It's in a, like I said, it's on display all the time. So they're getting negative feedback on social. Maybe someone didn't like it internally or a partner didn't like it. So how do we look at what a success look like for us? And then, how do we also take time to review what's going on, right? Like making sure that we're not saying, okay, January what 12th, this is what we need to do. And then we revisit it in December 1st when the season's Mm -hmm. over. That's not going to do anybody any good. And it also doesn't empower my team to say, hey, I know what Amy wants to do. I know what Tim Clark, my boss, wants us to do. I know what Steve Phelps wants us to do are we meeting this? Should we adjust? Do we want to repitch something so that they have the power to really storytell and engage um, and adjust around some of those priorities? I think setting up, like, we we talk about this all the time, 36 weeks is a lot. So is every race positioned the same way? Sure, from a tune-in standpoint, but what stories can we tell out of each race? What's the d- differentiation? Like, the clash is so different. You've got It in downtown LA, in the Coliseum, which is the craziest thing to see Mm -hmm. of all time. I I remember going and was like, what's happening right now? (laughs) But it's new fans, right? Because it's a little bit of like, oh, if I'm not there, I have FOMO. So you're going to approach that differently than going to Daytona. Daytona is a spectacle. It's amazing. 125,000 people, sunny skies, and you're just like, oh, the racing is so fun. And it's Daytona. It's really cool. So you 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 also have to give your team flexibility to be really fluid in the process of creativity. And I mean, boundaries is just really important to me from a North star, like can't let your team get beat up by all the things that have to happen, build the boundaries so that they can be proactive. And then people start to kind of shy back because they're seeing that it's getting handled and taken care of. But without that, you know, team feels a little bit disjointed because they have a lot of masters that we're trying to, you know, appease and keep happy.
1: I like what you said in there too about a little bit of a data and analysis approach of being able to say what worked, why did it work, what didn't work, why didn't it work, Mm -hmm. and be able to adjust your approach and strategy. And that's that's a big part of your role, I would imagine. I think a lot of people think of content just from the storytelling side. And there's so much more work that goes into it than that. So you can make smart choices moving forward. Like you said, analyzing something 12 months from now that's lost opportunity over those 12 months. You should be learning as you go. How hard is that to keep up with and keep everybody on board with?
0: It's hard. And it's hard when you think about metrics. A lot of people will say, well, this was the top engaged, you know, post that we did. Okay, but that was the goal. But what was the outcome? Right. Did it it prove anything to us? Like sentiment to me is so much more important. If I, there was a very, um, high-level celebrity that reached out to us and was like, NASCAR, what's up? And we we're like, wait, are we relevant? Like, we kind of funnily had that yeah. conversation like, whoa, what? This is yeah. like, two people reach out this week and we're like, they're DMing us. Like, mm-hmm. that's what we want. That That yes. is success, is that we have new people getting excited about a sport that is so fun, so fun to watch, super accessible. You know, that means more to me than... And we had a million people view this post. And right. certainly it helps from a leadership standpoint. But when we really think about changing the culture and changing the dynamic of the future for the sport, uh, you know, success can be a lot of different things. And it's not just an engagement number.
1: Right. Sometimes those engagement numbers can be vanity metrics. It makes you feel good, but it yeah. doesn't really have any depth of meaning. Like, yeah. oh, my gosh, a million people saw it. We win. But really… Did it have the effect you wanted it to? And I think that's a hard right. thing to get through sometimes to yeah. um, creatives. You know, we've all yeah, we've yes, all been there. Yes, yeah. Yes. Okay. So you jumped in at a big moment in this this NASCAR career of yours. This upcoming season, you've referenced a lot of the cool things that are happening. But one of the biggest things this upcoming season is NASCAR's 75th anniversary. I know this presents a lot of opportunities, but it also creates a lot of pressure. You're going to have a lot more eyes. You're going to have a lot more going on. What's your overarching strategy and approach to handling something this big?
0: Yeah. I mean, we've talked about it so much. It's really celebrating the past in a way that is tailored to every audience, right? Like, I know that sounds very simple um, from a statement standpoint, but thinking about we're partnering with TikTok to do content that's dedicated to that platform. And we're big proponents of using the platform for the audience, and how they're used to seeing that content. Yes. It is great to tell a story about, you know, how NASCAR incorporated um, at the Streamline Hotel. We have to tell that four different ways to make sure that all the audiences are invested in it the same way that we are, right? Like, Mm -hmm. the way you tell it on TikTok is going to be completely different than what we do on Fox. So. It's funny. We have um, Untold Stories. It's like one of our cornerstone franchises. So we're doing a a version for social, (laughs) YouTube, and .com. And then potentially with our broadcast partners. But what's going on social is completely different than what's going on .com. Because you have different audiences. You have different ways you're watching things. Um, So a lot of it is making sure we're honoring the past in a way that people can approach it and feel a part of it, right? Like if you're a core fan, you're going to want to say, I went to XYZ race. I love this driver. If you're a casual fan, you're like, oh, I remember that one moment. That's Mm -hmm. so cool. And if you're a new fan, you're like, what can I learn through this that's informational but also entertaining, right? Like you can't have it be something that's not approachable and attainable for that new fan because it's so high level that they don't understand what even that means or what's the delineation around that. Um, Like Dale senior, you're going to have to probably, probably not for newer fans because he's, he's one of those crossover, but like you're going to have to tell people his accolades and all the things that he's done. Mm -hmm. That's okay. Core fans don't need to get mad because they can just be really excited that they
1: can reminisce. Right. And they can nostalgia.
0: Exactly Place for both yeah exactly it's it's really an opportunity I think it it's very important to me not just to tell the story but also to think about how we take things from 2023 that can move us into 24 25 26 mm. like we have an idea that's around celebrating the 100th anniversary you have to think about that like you mm-hmm. have to think about how can you deliver for fans so that they become fans? And then they're part of the 100s. Like, yeah. that's really cool to me that we have that opportunity. So, you know, just slightly a few things we got to do before. I mean, uh,
1: the 75th anniversary, that's a big deal. You got a lot to, lot to do there for your team to really execute on. But what a great opportunity as well. Um, I was thinking about this as I was preparing a little bit. I went from, in my career, I went from a national network where we went, you know, a mile wide and an inch deep. You know, you're yeah. covering everything at some level to then going to a regional network at, at Fox Sports Northwest where we're going a mile deep and an inch wide and you're going really detailed on that. I found that transition in my career really demanding. That was hard yeah. because I was now managing people who had such legacy knowledge of this sports scene that I didn't have. And so I found it really hard to ramp myself up, spin this to you and your situation now. I mean, you spend 20 years at at Fox, you come from Minnesota, and now you join NASCAR and you've got a lot of legacy knowledge there that maybe you don't have. How how did you handle that? And how yeah. do you get to a point where you know you were you were confident in in doing what you need to do to be successful in the role?
0: It's interesting to think about it. And when I was interviewing, um someone asked me, What do you know about NASCAR? And I said, Well, my dad is a fan and Dick Trickle is my favorite driver. And they were like, <laughs> Oh, you get it. <laughs> If any of you NASCAR fans are out there, you'll, you know, I don't even have to tell you. Don't don't
1: Google Dick Trickle, but go ahead.
0: Character of all characters. He used to race at the Minnesota State Fair and my brother and I picked him as our favorite driver. So we were like, great. But to your point, I always remember telling this to my team when I was at Fox. We represent each of the leagues and we need to be the experts because we're creating brand partnerships and Part of that is making sure that the brands understand what our brand is and what we're doing. So we're doing something for Fox NFL Sunday. It was my job to make sure that what Bill Richards does on Fox NFL Sunday Mm -hmm. gets translated with a brand to represent his brand, not just thrown into another brand that does us no service. So same thing with NASCAR. We covered NASCAR. I was able to learn a ton about the culture, the sport, yeah. certainly not to the level of what I walked into of that, like you said, that legacy knowledge. And it's, yeah. it's honestly a little intimidating to walk in here without all of the knowledge. Very. What I will say is the people who work at NASCAR love the sport so much and they want to talk about it. I engage those people. So Steve LaTart, uh works at NBC, um, does the broadcast. He's a talent for us at NASCAR. He will answer any question I have. Jeff Burton will answer any question I have. Corey LaJoy will answer any question I have. And they're so kind about it because they see I'm interested in learning to be able to tell the story in a way that helps everyone. And everyone here loves NASCAR. So when you're invested and you're interested and you're inquisitive – that's such a positive to people. And yeah. it's also a great way to start relationships. Like, hey, I don't know this. Could yes. you spend 10 minutes with me? I and trust you. Can... Help me.
1: You know? Yes. Yeah. Explain
0: camber to me, which I'm still, still TBD if I could tell you what
1: it is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you though. I think that's one of the things that, and this is advice to everybody listening. The idea of fake it till you make it is wrong in this environment. Ask questions, yeah. be curious. Yeah. Really yeah. reach out to those people. Find those trusted resources you can ask questions to and learn from. 95% of the people out there, if you want to work in the NFL and you start out in the NHL, 95% of the people you work with want to help you. They yeah. want to help you grow. They want to help you improve. They want, there will be 5% that will judge you. Yeah. Forget about them. You know, move on. Like, and this is where we get into that imposter syndrome conversation so much too, is that we tell ourselves these narratives in our heads. We tell ourselves, everybody's looking at me and knows that I don't know this stuff. Guess what? They don't, (laughs) you know? So just be curious, ask questions, try to learn, try to grow, and you figure it out over time.
0: I keep saying this, look for the helpers. Yes. Yes. I'm quoting Mr. Rogers, but- Valid. It is so true. It is so, so true. Of people who want to help and want to be there. And I think about that when we're hiring or we're looking at new staff, or you know, if someone's challenged and they need a resource, like look for the people who are helping other yes. people and then be a helper when you get to the point where you can help other people. Like be a resource for other people. Pay pay it forward. Pay it forward. Because if you're if it sounds very simple, but like if you're helping, you're thinking, you're problem solving, you're looking at people from a really positive standpoint as opposed to going to the negative. Sometimes like that imposter syndrome, you get into that thrust of like, I can't do this, I can't do this. Yeah. But someone who's a helper is going to remind you, what are you talking about? You can do this. Like, right. go do it. Just go yep. do it. Um, so I think that that's super, super important in the process as well. <laughs>
1: So your last role at Fox, you were the VP of the content studio. Fast forward to August, 2022, you've been instrumental in the launch of NASCAR studios. Why was this such an important goal? What does it mean for the sport? And how does that help you in developing that next wave of content creators?
0: Yeah, so when I started um, and interviewed with my now boss, Tim Clark, we talked a lot about this. And and it is truly one of the reasons why I wanted to go from Fox to NASCAR is the expansion of what I had done and the skills that I had. And, you know, when you take a new job, it can't be about pay and all those things. I mean, it should be, but Mm -hmm. um, secondarily, it needs to be about what are you going to gain and understand and learn about yourself? What, what are the skills that you can bring to the table to help? Um, And so when we talked, you know, the thought process about being an agency for creating content in the industry was super interesting to me. I was very intrigued about doing it. I had run the content studio at Fox and I loved it. I I had Mm -hmm. so much fun doing it and the thought process around helping teams and drivers. And, um, honestly, this was a goal for Tim when I came in. So, you know, that Northstar KPI was Tim. Like this is something that he wanted to do. He saw that we could do and, and with Steve Phelps, too, like, they saw an opportunity for us to do it and were so supportive of all the decisions I was making. It was important because NASCAR, 36 weeks, you have great broadcast partners in Fox and NBC, but ESPN doesn't do stories on NASCAR day in and day out, right? right. So right. the league, generally— is in such a different place than the NBA and NFL. Like we are telling the stories, we're putting the stories out. And again, we have fabulous partnerships with lots, Barstool, you know, NBC Fox, but the league really does a lot of work. And to me, I think, is it that sexy for the league to be doing all this content? Right. The drivers, the teams are so focused on driving because it's a long season. It's Mm -hmm. an intricate sport. It's all of those things. So when we started NASCAR Studios, it was really important for us to take the skills that we knew, the relationships we had with the platforms, all of those things, and be a resource for all of the industry to make sure that the content that gets put out showcases how awesome NASCAR is. And all the great things that are going on, the stories in each team, the stories around the pit crews, like, these guys are D1 athletes who… We cannot do what they do. One of our good friends, Brian Flores is uh, the tire changer for Blaney and he will show me the stuff. I'm like, I don't know how you do any of this Yeah, and there's a strategy around it. There's all these things that can help. And if we can get the teams and the drivers and other outlets sort of be our advocates and tell the story, it's going to help the whole ecosystem yep. get more people involved in the sport. So from a standpoint of why we did it, honestly, it, I really wanted to support Tim's vision and making sure that NASCAR Studios could achieve what we wanted to, which is storytelling, and make sure that we support the industry in the way that we know we can. Um, and it's been great to actually do it for him, and then be able to be the lead of it. It's it's an awesome opportunity, and I'm I was really excited to. I just ordered a bunch of merch, and I'm like, ooh, this is a real thing that we get to do, and again, yeah. this is my job.
1: Yeah, yeah. Side story: I tried to get Tim on the show once; he ignored me. Nonetheless, uh, no, no, no sour grapes there. Just kidding. Um, so, uh, well, as I'll,
0: a, I'll give him a hard time for it. No,
1: I'm just kidding. He probably doesn't <laughs> even remember it. I tried. I reached out. Um, well, he
0: always hands everything over to me now. He's like, right. do it. and I'm like, the the coolest thing about NASCAR. Side note: is I, as an employee, have never had this much support for being an advocate for what we're doing, and. Them, as an employee, putting me in the spot to talk about stuff that is my area of expertise. Yeah. I love this so much about this company that it's not just Tim or Steve talking about my business. Like, it gives me accountability. It makes me feel really good. And they do a great job with this. Like, they've put me on panels and all these things. And not only do they do that, they help me with the storytelling. Like, how do you have a good, you know conversation when you're on a panel like how do you do good storytelling those things as employers are looking for employees and employees are looking at employers ask those kind of questions see if they're putting people out into those areas because that just gives me a a vision of you know a version of pride for me in my role that like okay sure it's busy but look at all this other stuff that I'm learning and getting to do and I think that's a good thing for people to know as they're looking at employers, how do they treat their employees? And it's not just like pay; it's all the other stuff. All the you other get. stuff.
1: Yeah. Well, you're a rock star at this, so this is this is an impressive performance. Uh, so we'll we'll continue going down this path with the global reach you're trying to command. You're trying to grow. You're trying to bring in new audience. All the various platforms you're trying to put content out on. Clearly, you're not doing this yourself, and you have a big team. Let's get into that philosophy of team building. What yeah. do you look for when hiring staff and, and organizing your team and and setting everybody up for success?
0: Yeah, I mean, it goes back to like, look for the helpers and the people who are open to, you know, honest looks and conversations. The best conversations I have when I'm interviewing someone are ones that go completely off script and you start having a conversation like you and I are having. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. You start to understand what what is that person's passion point? What do they like to do? What have been their challenges. Why are they looking to leave? Like, what? It, it's a little bit of meeting in the middle, right? Like, I have a great leadership coach who taught me if you can meet in the middle, you're in such a good spot because you have goals, that person has goals, and if you combine those two, you're powerhouse. So, when I'm looking at my team, I'm really thinking about how do we meet in the middle? What is that person bringing? What do they want to bring? What are their passion points? And then where are the places that I can put them? We get really stuck as organizations and saying, like, well, it's just this person's here, they need to do that. And it's like, well, but I saw, say it's content creation, I saw this person create seven sizzles on their personal page, and we're not using that person for that. Like, why are we not doing that? Let's take another look at how we're staffing and then showcasing to the team what that looks like as a progression. Um, And making sure that they understand that that will allow them to grow. It's not a negative thing. It's actually making sure that all the puzzle pieces fit. But we're sometimes we get super linear and we're like, oh, I don't want anything to be outside of this little box. And, you know, I get scared by that. So, you know, I think as we build the team, making sure I also see people who are inquisitive. I mean, there are folks who come and... Uh, if you looked at my calendar, you would be terrified. There's not a lot of time in my day because we love meetings at NASCAR, but people who come in and genuinely say, I have an interest in this. I heard you talk about this or send notes or showcase their um, excitement about something always leads me to, I need to do something with this person. I need to make sure that they are seen and heard um, because you know, as we all know, I don't have time to be thinking about XYZ employee in my downtime. I'm probably like, what am I getting for lunch? Should I go outside for two minutes? You know, (laughs) and that's not out of me thinking I don't want to do it. It's just the reality of how busy we are. So I think also having people who are inquisitive, I I go back to being an intern at the Vikings. No one ever turned me down. Yeah, No one turns people down who come and say, I'm here to help. I'm here and I have a passion for this, or I'd like to learn more about this. If if that person turns you down, you should probably just not talk to that person because they don't get it. Right. Right. Like you and I feel the same way. Like it's probably not a good person for you to associate with. (laughs) And so I think as we, as we build a team and we think about being on a global scale, it's also reminding them to have fun. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, we go to, NASCAR races, and we're going to go race in Le Mans and, you know, potentially be, have a successful run with Chicago street race and all of these things. It's yeah. like, I, I would f- remind my employees all the time. Like you need to have fun. This has to be fun. Yeah. It has to be fun yep. because it's storytelling and sports. It's pretty good.
1: I love what you said in there about being inquisitive too. And and I I feel like I'm drawn to people who are excited and passionate. Like if I'm interviewing somebody and you can see them that like energy start to build up inside of them as they're talking about their craft or what they're interested in, that's infectious. And I try to tell people all the time, like you go into an interview and you're thinking professionally, but don't be afraid to let some of that passion and excitement come through because that just people want that. You want to be surrounded by people that are that are really interested and inquisitive and want to learn and want to grow. And all those little signals that come through in an interview process are are so important. It sets the stage for who you are. Yep. What about you as a leader? I think it can be difficult sometimes to, you're not the person writing the script. You're not the person editing the video. You're leading. You're setting up priorities. You're making important decisions. How do you lead to get the most out of your people? Because I do think that's a challenge that everybody should be looking towards, right? Everybody's going to be leading at some point, whether it's a project or it's a group of people. So getting your mind kind of framed around that is important. What are your kind of main tenants for your leadership style?
0: One of the great things about taking this job was moving from being a delegator to a leader. I, Mm. I really knew that that was going to be a challenge for me because I'm such a taskmaster, project manager, I do lists. I cross them off. I'm type A. I know I'm self-aware for sure. Um, and I'm with
1: you. You're with <laughs> got, me. I got the same stuff.
0: Yeah, there's, I clean up my desk just in case someone saw something, but usually it's got post-it notes everywhere. <laughs> there's like big uh, post-it notes on my wall and delegating, moving from delegation to leadership is, is hard. And we talked about this a little bit before. I I stumbled as I got into this new role, and, and I say that because I think people think as you grow, you should just know how to be a leader, and I was very pleased that NASCAR gave me a leadership coach and supported me in understanding and educating me about leadership. I told you, Brian, like listening to your podcasts, and um, I listened to Adam Grant, like I found some really good resources for me that worked for me. Yeah on how I can approach leadership. And what I have to remember is we are humans and there is a job to do and being mature and thoughtful about leadership is where I need to be. And meeting people in the middle and understanding not everybody's gonna be the same way. Not everyone's gonna execute things the way I do it. And being comfortable with giving people space, giving them confidence, and allowing them to be honest and open about challenges. You know, I've learned all of those things in the last year. I think as a leader, I have always been this way. is like, we want a good culture. We want people to come into work. And I'm a fun person. I love to giggle and like goof around. And I probably have the problem sometimes. But again, as a leader, how can I then be a resource too? I mean, I don't, I think sometimes- In my previous life, it's kind of like that conversation like, ooh, sorry, mom, I was such a jerk when I was a kid because now I have the insight to know what it's like to uh, be an adult and you you, you know what you did wrong. Looking back, some of the things that would frustrate me about leaders, you have to remember what leaders have on their plate, right? So when I come in every day, I think about what does Tim need to do? What does Steve have to accomplish? How can I help get that done? And then how do I share that with the team in a meaningful way? again, to prioritize, build boundaries, do all those things. But I think having the positive attitude of this is what we're going to do. It should be fun building in opportunities for people to grow and learn and kind of take on the same education that I got this year is so important as a leader and, and being honest and being self-aware and being Mm -hmm. okay to say, I am not I do not know everything. I made a mistake. Like I've said that probably 10 times in the last year. I made a big mistake doing X. Here's how I want to make up for it. Here's how I want to support you. Here's all of those things. That's leadership too. Calling yourself um, and holding yourself accountable is leadership. But it's hard when you, you know, a lot of us grow through and you're like, okay, I have this role, I have this role, I'm specializing, I'm doing this. But what about those other skills? And I would um, encourage everyone to kind of think about what's your brand? What's your leadership style? What do you like? What do you not like? All those things will help you as you go down the road and have conversations with people, not just about roles, but about leadership and what that means.
1: Yeah, it's a constant struggle, I think. I look back to your point earlier. I look back at some of the decisions I made as a leader when I was 28 years old, and I'm like, "Oh my gosh, I can't believe I said that or did that or mm-hmm. asked this person to do this thing." And I'm like, "Oh my gosh, you know, all above board, of course, but just like bad decisions, like poor leadership yeah. or poor ways of treating people or whatever." And and it, and it's you learn. It's it's not a straight line on leadership, especially, and you no. become more comfortable being transparent and saying, "Hey, I messed this up, guys. We got to fix this," or whatever. Yeah. Ownership of that builds strength within other people and b- builds trust and re- and belief. And it's hard to even get to that point where you can admit it to yourself that you've done yeah. things wrong. I mean, it's 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 an ongoing challenge, but it's so important. And if you want to raise your ceiling in any industry, leadership yeah. skills are important. They really are. Yep. yep.
0: Yep. And and we've all we've all been in good and bad situations. So think about the ones that are good and focus on that. Yeah. And then on the bad stuff, go, why well, I don't, I, I didn't, that didn't work for me. Why? Yeah. Like, ask yourself why, instead of pointing like, oh, this person wasn't a good leader. It's like, well, why didn't it work for me? And what would I do differently? Right. Kind of that introspective piece is really important. And it is hard. I've been That's, through it. <laughs>
1: yeah, same. Uh, I love this point of view. I want to be super respectful of your time. So we'll we'll finish up with this. Uh, clearly, you're a forward-thinking creative, and uh, I ask this of a lot of people, and I think it's hard sometimes, but I'm going to throw it at you anyway, the content world is always changing rapidly. Yeah. You know, uh, 10 years ago, we weren't doing these quick hitter Twitter videos, obviously. You know, like, there's always some new way of gathering audience, attracting different fan groups, et cetera. What are you, what are you excited about into the future, and, and what would you like to see happen on the, on the creative and content side that you think is a, a positive direction for our industry?
0: Yeah, it's it's such a hard question. I've been thinking about it so much is like AI, right? Yeah. What's going to happen to content creators? Because you have AI spitting out stories and doing all these things. And the thing that I would like to see is the combination of the excellent technology of AI and content creators who can manage what that looks like. Mm-hmm. Because... The human element cannot be removed. I don't care what anyone says.
1: Thank you. I don't
0: care. Yeah. I, uh, if you don't listen to Smartless, I was listening to Smartless and they were. I listen to
1: Smartless. I love Smartless.
0: Oh, God, it's so good. And it it's makes so me good. laugh so hard. Yes.
1: It's um, one of the few podcasts out there I listen to that literally makes me laugh.
0: I have two, Conan and Smartless, and I listen to them on planes and I'm always giggling and people are like, <laughs> what's wrong with this lady? Um, but thinking through, they, they were talking about storytelling, and I think it's so true. It's like, I think it was um, someone talking about Wrexham Football Club and how if you don't know much about soccer, it doesn't matter if you tell the story in the right way and you make that human connection. That's why you're going to be involved. You might not know about soccer, but if you know the story, you are going to root for them. Yep. The human portion of storytelling is the thing that I think will continue to grow. And I hope that the sweet spot for AI and storytelling in general is that human connection and making sure that, you know, we don't lose touch of that because that's the important part. Like you, you can't, no one can tell me how I felt when, you know, Stefan Diggs catch that ball in the Minnesota miracle, like, That is just something that like, yeah. And then you Damar, right? What happened with Damar is a perfect example of people come together because of human emotion and the things that happen in the story. And then the bills go out and play and it's uh you know, they run back for a touchdown and it's three, and you're like, wait, what is happening? Yeah. You you can't supplement that with AI. So I think that. something I think about. And then I'm, I'm fascinated by media rights. I just have always been, I've read a lot of books on it. I'm fascinated to see this circle back to essentially streamers becoming (laughs) what cable companies are now. And, you know, so, so that is kind of intriguing to me of who's going to have what rights and Mm -hmm. how are you going to get content because it's so fragmented and If something's on Peacock and I don't have Peacock, like that's frustrating to me. Like I just want to watch the game. And I don't know how leagues really deal with that. Obviously, we're going to have to deal with it with our broadcast rights coming up. But that's interesting to me. And then thinking about what's going to happen in 2026. So none of us thought Twitter was going to be bought by Elon Musk. And how much you put into each of these platforms, how much are we looking at forward? thinking content and being flexible and adaptable to what that, what that is. Because I remember when Elon bought Twitter and I thought, man, we put a lot of trust into Twitter. Yes. There's a revenue component. There's all these things. Do we have an answer for what that looks like? If If that goes goes
1: away, what is that? How does that impact us? And yeah.
0: Yeah. And, and how do we storytell and how do we reach our audience? It's not a, you know, it didn't stress me out to the point of like, but it's thought provoking, It's that thought like, oh, man, do we really have a plan for the future? And I had a conversation with someone um, at Fox when I was at Fox and like talent deals didn't have incorporation of social and or digital because they were done so long ago that you wouldn't even have known how to contemplate that. Yep. (laughs) And that's all all changing so fast. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's crazy.
1: It is. Amy, this has been amazing. Totally one of my favorite uh, conversations ever. As my friend, Laura Oakman, always told me when we were coming up in the industry, she said, turn interviews into conversations. And you you referenced it earlier. And that's always my goal. And this was like from 10 seconds in, we were off and running into a conversation. So I love this. Thank you so much for coming on. The audience is going to really thrive from all this information you shared. So I really appreciate it.
0: Thank you. I really appreciate it. And I encourage everybody
1: to continue listening to this
0: podcast. It's great resource. That's
1: great advice. <laughs> I know. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. I'll tell you what happens almost after every single interview I conduct. I send the files over to our edit team. Kevin Zwicker is an amazing producer of our content. I love the job that he does. And usually he'll give me a little bit of a feedback like, you two really hit it off, or that was a little bit of a struggle, or I really like this question. You know, we get a little bit of a banter. And I'm telling you what, when he sees these files, he's gonna be like, wow, you guys really hit it off. Because that was as conversational as you can get. And that was just a real deep dive, really trying to provide insight and advice for all of you from two people who care. And that really comes through from Amy and I really appreciate her coming on. Please continue to listen and rate and review and subscribe. All that stuff is super important. You don't realize how important it is, but it makes a difference for us. We can reach more people and spread this knowledge to everybody else out there. Thanks for listening, everybody. I will see you on Monday.